Hi guys, welcome to episode 25 of The Beauty of Ugly. My name is Sim Tong and let's talk about some stuff. Today we went out to, uh, in the morning we went rock climbing. Our friends were here from Kedah. So that was what we did this morning, it was fun. And then from there we rushed to a friend's wedding, Kanduri. And the food there was great. Uh, congratulations to my friends, uh, Zian and Kauru. That was a fun one. And then uh, after that, where did we go? Oh, yes, we went to uh, visit the new baby that's born uh, before, before before we went to the Kanduri. So we went to see the baby, uh, my uh, sister-in-law's baby. Then uh, I was like, okay, we're done. We can go home and rest for a while, right? But then my wife is like, no, we're going to dinner at Sunway Pyramid. We were going to eat Haiti Lao with um, her folks. And I was like, it's three in the afternoon. Why are we having dinner at three in the afternoon? So the logic goes, well, the queue is always very long there and we got to be in line for the queue. Uh, so we got to get, like, we have to get there by five o'clock so that we can get into the queue, queue up and then have dinner starting at six. Basically, we could go home, but as soon as we reach home, it's almost time to you know, we could have a shower and it's time to leave again. And it's all the way across town from the other side, right? So we uh, we kind of just went there straight after the the wedding, uh, Kanduri. So pretty much right after lunch, we went to dinner. You could say that. So we hung around in Sunway Pyramid Hotel to kind of avoid the crowd. It was so crowded there. And among all the places in Sunray Pyramid, I would say Haiti Lao was the most crowded of all of them. It was just crazy. Um, and I don't really understand the whole, uh, yeah, the whole uh, attraction, the whole appeal of uh, Haiti Lao, but it's super popular. It seems like a big deal of the attraction is the queuing. They have this huge um, space in front of the restaurant where you could still practice social distancing to some degree, but sit down and queue and um, while you wait they give you free stuff free ice cream free tea free drinks free water free um, popcorn free um, prawn crackers whatever you want they'll give it to you for free while you wait uh, so i guess that's kind of the, the appeal of it and uh, the service is good i think that's the other thing but yeah i don't know i, I don't like crowds and I, I don't like waiting, but uh, yeah, lots of people do though. Uh, the restaurant for people with too much time on their hands. <laughs> we were there at like 3.30 and uh, dinner finished at about 8. So yeah, four and a half hours. Um, and my, my wife, like this is the difference between my wife and me. For her, that is time well spent. For me, I was like, we could have come here like three hours later and we still would have been fine, right? Yeah. Anyway, that was my day. Uh, yes. Okay. Let's read some comments now. This is fun. Uh, no queue, not popular, no popular, no one to go. Yeah. I think that's the, it's like a very Hong Kong, very uh, Singapore type of uh, philosophy, school of thought, way of thinking. Uh, mentality uh, where if a place is crowded or if you see someone queuing you're like oh what's happening here gotta be something good here I don't wanna miss out so I'm gonna start queuing too right 
I think there is a bit of that going on. Um, although their service, their service is good, I would say, and uh, it's expensive, but I guess the food is good. I don't know. I don't really care much about food. You know, I uh, ch the cheaper the better for me usually. Yeah, when it comes to food, yeah, it, it was fun. It was fun hanging out with the with the in laws, uh, having a nice meal. Um, when we were in Penang, we ate at this place that was had a few things. One of them was this famous chendol, and uh, we ate there. And it wasn't anything particularly good. I think I might have told you guys this one before. It wasn't anything particularly good, but I think because it's famous and there's always a queue there, people um, that's that's the whole hype, right? People will be like, "Hey, this is the famous place where you have to queue up to eat your chendol." So I'm going to queue up so that I can tell my friends I got to eat the chendo, you know. Um, I think that's that's the attraction in a lot of these places. So yeah, I got to eat there. Wow, how long was the queue? Oh, it was so long. Wow, but in the end, we, we ate it and it was amazing. Yeah, I think that's part of the attraction is telling your friends that you 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 got to go, which is part of the attraction of just almost everything, right? We were in it for the story, right? Yeah, it was just so crowded, man. There was like 300 people there just waiting to eat, all wearing masks on their chins. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah it's, it looks like a big cluster about to happen. Um, yeah, apparently the, the guy, uh, my wife was telling me the, the boss of Haiti Lao, uh, is the richest man in Singapore and one of the richest men in Southeast Asia. Maybe the attraction is that this restaurant is so successful and it's owned by the richest man in Singapore and one of the richest men in Southeast Asia. So when you eat there, it's kind of like you're joining in with the success in a way, the popularity. Is, is that what it is? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just rich people worship which is also something that we we basically humans do, right? I, I wouldn't even say it's a Chinese thing. It's That's why uh, Donald Trump is the president. Because uh, he's so rich, he must be smart. We want to be part of his team. We want to be part of his thing. Okay, I'm going to go to comments for a little bit. He should provide happy endings afterwards. <laughs> uh, Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me, but at the same time, I shouldn't be surprised, right? <laughs> when Jimmy is here. Um, yeah, that's that's why the Sunday uh, podcast is, uh, is so fun. Everybody's here. Because I'm the only one streaming. Yay. I still like Beauty in a Pot. Yeah, I, I haven't tried that, but I'm going to try it. Um... <laughs> Pat Fran says, not from him, I hope, in reference to um, the, the uh, happy endings. And Jimmy O says, a happy ending is a happy ending. <laughs> Just don't let me see the face or the hand. <laughs> um, okay. Um, what is being asked here? Pat Fern is asking me if I'm superstitious during Hungry Ghost Month. We can talk about that a little bit, right? I would like to say I'm not superstitious, but... Uh, I wouldn't go around looking for ghosts. I would still take kind of like precautions, I guess. Uh, I wouldn't be so keen to go out at night, I would say. 
yeah, during Hungry Ghost Month. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what to believe, right? I don't really. It's like with religion, right? Uh, and with God on religion. Same thing with ghosts. It's like I don't really spend any time deciding what to believe. Uh, so if I had to fill up a form and in the form there's a box that says, are you superstitious? I would write no. But if I had to go to a haunted house to prove that I'm not superstitious, then I would be like, whoa, okay, I am superstitious. So that's my answer. <laughs> so how about you guys? Are you guys superstitious? Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of Chinese people at least are, right? Uh, Andrew Kate says, if you got chance to see ghosts this month, Sim, please ask Toto for the 60 numbers for me. Yeah? Okay, um, so Chinese people have all these beliefs right, about the supernatural. But at the same time, Chinese people are also very into um, gambling and into money and winning, especially when it comes to the lottery. Um, so like we are always mashing these two things, the superstition and the love of um, winning by buying numbers, right? Um, we mashed these two together and then we came up with this thing where we believe that somebody who's deceased is able to help us see what is the winning number this week. Yeah, that's that's the best way I can put it. And uh, yeah, we, a lot of us have this belief. Uh, and I don't know if it's true. I don't buy numbers, right? And uh, I don't really believe in ghosts unless I have to, yeah. Chinese people and our beliefs, we have a lot of them. And in fact, our religion is just a set of beliefs, I would say. Um, on paper, over here, if you ask most Chinese people who are not Christian or Muslim, if you ask them what is their religion, they will fill up when they're filling up a form or when they're having to answer, give a short answer, they'll be like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm Buddhist. But a lot of our beliefs are nothing to do with Buddhism, right? Um, burning jaw sticks, um, praying to ancestors. A lot of these things are not Buddhist beliefs uh, or teachings. They are just beliefs that we have always had. And they came from all different places. Oh, they came from like our ancestors in China, but um, they didn't come from Buddhism. They came from tradition. Yeah. Okay, so... Facebook basically reminded me, I think yesterday, of an old picture from five years ago. So yes, a little bit of humble bragging first to start off the story. But this is this is a picture of me five years ago as uh, just like many people in Kuala Lumpur. Five years ago, many of us were at the birthday four rally. So what are the birthday rallies? Uh, a lot of you already know this, but uh, basically it was uh, the fourth in a series of rallies uh, I've had over the years. And it was the, my first time going to a birthday rally in Kuala Lumpur. Um, so I was kind of the newbie. Uh, but at the same time, I, was, I had been invited to perform at the rally, at the protest. Um, so the rallies are basically, birthday one, two, and three was very focused on having cleaner and fairer elections. So we were pushing for things like um, having the, implementing the indelible ink, um, which uh, you're supposed to dip your finger into the indelible ink so that um, 
the ink doesn't come off. So if if you try to vote twice, um, and there should there should be mechanisms that stop you from voting twice. But there are also like a lot of rumors, a lot of um, a lot of talk about people voting more than once. Like if they are in, if they are supporting a certain coalition, they are able to vote more than once. So there was a lot of talk about that. So um, things like the indelible ink, um, cleaning up the the voting registry and the voting uh, the voting poll, right? Um, because there are like lots of people who are um, pretty obviously dead. They're like hundred and twenty years old, still on the voting poll, and they have been voting the past, you know, um, two or three elections. That means like. Um, some people have been using their their names and their um, uh, ID, their identity to vote. Um, so things like that, we were pushing for like, okay, this is obviously something's wrong here, and you should, you, you know, the um, the election commission should just look into all these matters. And the election commission was all the while uh, kind of protected by the government. They are kind of like they supposed to be independent, but at the same time they're kind of like, um, yeah, we don't have to do any of the things you guys say because um, we are doing nothing wrong. You know, all your accusations are just fake news. Back then they didn't say fake news, but that was the gist of it. So, um, so yeah, birthday one, two, and three uh, were kind of brutal. Um, birthday two and three in particular, um, there was a lot of police brutality there were a lot of people taking pictures and videos of police beating up um, a lot of um, peaceful uh, protesters so um, I was kind of scared going to Bursay 4 and actually okay uh, this story is like it branches in from many different places um, how I got into Bursay 4 was at that time in 2015 about the end of 2014 and uh, throughout 2015, I was doing a lot of jokes about um, the ridiculous things happening in government. Um, there was very, there were very few people um, talking about those things back then. And in fact, I think most comedians weren't even uh, aware of any of these things um, at first. Uh, there was basically Matt Bellotti, the the guy who um, uh, ran uh, the magazine that basically runs the Time Out Thursdays uh, comedy shows every month. Uh, yeah, uh, the he was kind of the editor or boss, or um, he was one of the higher ups in uh, the magazine uh, in Mongoose Publishing in uh, Time Out magazine. Um, yeah, he was also another person who was doing quite a lot of, uh, doing quite a bit of material on uh, on one MDB and not particularly, this was like before, before like um, the Sarawak report found, like exposed the, the 2.6 billion in our prime minister's account, right? We were back then. We were mostly talking about like, how come there's this sovereign fund thing that nobody's heard of, that is like forty-two billion ringgit in debt. So we we were making like 
me and Matt, we were making jokes about that. Um, and then later, of course, like um, we found like, oh, this guy's got a lot of money in his account, right? Um, yeah, and then we made jokes about that. And then they got defensive and they started doing ridiculous things. Like this, this picture of this T-shirt, this yellow T-shirt that we are all wearing, um, there are many different variations of it, but basically they all say Bursay 4, but they are all yellow. And uh, they tried to ban this T-shirt. Basically, it's like, there are a few variations that they try to ban. Basically, it's like um, yellow T-shirt with a number four on it with the word Bursay uh, is not allowed. You're not allowed to wear it. If you wear it, it is a criminal offense. And so many people were like thinking like, well, should we just wear a plain yellow T-shirt? And uh, I was kind of surprised when I reached there. Um, I was like, I was kind of like, you know what? Fuck it, that's a protest, right? We're going to be... We're going to do a little bit of civil disobedience, right? So, okay, I'm wearing mine. So when I got there, I wasn't the only one. Everybody was wearing the Bursay 4 t-shirt or some variation of the Bursay 4 t-shirt. So clearly all these t-shirts were in in violation of the of the new law that they tried to kind of bring up, right? So yeah, this was Bursay 4. And uh, it was my first time in uh, the big rally is, of course, in Kuala Lumpur. And it was my first time doing one there. In Bursi 3, we kind of did like um, a cheesy one where uh, we were on holiday in Chirating. And at that time, it was like, okay, Bursi is happening in Kuala Lumpur and all around Malaysia and basically all around wherever um, Malaysians are. And we um, we just did one in Chirating where we, you know, we were the only ones protesting in Chirating and we just gathered people. Most people in Chirating weren't even like sure what was going on they were like uh why are these people just like taking pictures of themselves carrying a sign now wearing yellow um but so this was the per se four was actually the first time i went to the the huge per se rally where and we were all expecting like the possibility of police brutality and also um water cannons ah this story there's so many parts to it. Okay, my uh, nephew and my sister had been to Bursay 3, right? They were protesting in Kuala Lumpur when that happened, when I was in Chirating. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so um, I was just laughing because I saw um, what uh, Jimmy was saying. Same Tiananmen Square tongue. No, 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 no. I'm not that. I'm not that uh, gung-ho. Um, so in Bursay 3, what my... Uh, nephew was reporting to me, and I believe this 100%, is that the riot police were inciting the crowd to um, run away, and then they could chase them and beat them up. Um, so what was happening was like he was in the middle of a crowd, a big crowd, and he saw that there were tear gas being launched on both sides, so he couldn't escape. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but at the same time, he's part of the crowd, and nobody's, as far as he could tell, everybody's just standing around, you know, just basically doing nothing, just wearing yellow T-shirts and standing around. And the riot police were like, let's get them to uh, look bad, I guess. They, they fired tear gas into two parts of the crowd, and of course, people were like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here, right? And um, as people ran, um, they chased them down and beat them up and said that, you know, these guys are looting. These guys are 
having a violent protest or whatever it was. And so, but the thing was nobody really believed that because there was so much video evidence. Um, in fact, I, I think a lot of the people who went to Perse 4, I think myself included, is actually also partly uh, we were upset at the way the the authorities uh, handled Verse 2 and 3. Um, it was just, you know, we the government was getting more and more authoritarian. Like, we could all feel that. So we felt like we needed to do something about it. So we, it was, it was kind of a fuck you to the government. Yeah. So um, Verse 4 was the biggest, I think. More people, I, I don't know how many people went, uh, 200,000, 300,000. At the time, it was really huge. And of course, like, um, if it's a competition, it's like um, there are bigger protests out there, right? <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Jimmy. Uh, holy shit, Sam, don't know the side of you. Come over here, BLM needs you. Yeah, Um I would totally, I would totally support the BLM movement. I, I wasn't part of the organizing committee or anything in this Brasse thing. How I got into it was I was doing a lot of um, material on the government and also on the ridiculous things that um, people were saying in in Parliament was saying um, to protect themselves, and it was getting more and more ridiculous. Um, yeah, there was one newspaper. Um, there were a couple of newspapers that were covering the news about 1MDB and the government did not like that. And they were um, they were just shutting down the newspapers. And one of the, at the time, uh, newly made Deputy Prime Minister um, Zahid Hamidi, Ahmad Zahid Hamidi, he said that, well, um, I don't need to, I don't need to, um, give a reason why I shut down the newspaper. It's just um, they should know I shut them down. So he used this phrase, which is like, Siapa makan cili? Dia yang rasa pedas. Which is not how you use the phrase, right? Yeah, so it was like, uh, it was ridiculous. So I was making fun of all these kind of things. And I think at that time, I was at an open mic when I did some of this material. And there was one other person who was also trying out open mics at the same time. I think uh, at that night she wasn't performing. And then uh, I got to I got introduced to her, um, one very young lady. Uh, and I was like, she was like, oh, uh, my name is Sharania. And I'm like, oh, Sharania, okay. Um, and then later I found out that Sharania was, uh, her mom was the previous uh, chairperson of Bursay. Um, Dato Ambiga. I mean, uh, we all know that Dato Ambiga, but like, uh, I didn't realize like uh, this was her daughter. So anyway, yeah, she was so tickled by my performance. She's like, I'm gonna get my mom to come and see uh, your next show. And I went, when's your next show? I'm like, back then we had like Tuesday nights at uh, One Mic Stand and Wednesdays at the Crack House. So I was like, yeah, the next one is uh, tomorrow at the Crack House, and then I'm gonna do the same thing again. And say, like, oh, I'm gonna get my mom to come and see you. And I was like. Okay, uh, yeah, that's nice, thanks. And then later, uh, I was talking to someone else. I'm like, who is Sharania's mom? And she's like, oh, it's Dr. Ambiga, okay. So the next night, Dr. Ambiga came. It was kind of fun. Like, she was sitting in the audience. She was watching. Uh, we were making some jokes about 
you know, per se. Yeah. Even the other comedians were, were starting to make a little bit of um, topical jokes. And then uh, and then I did the thing where I wore a Bursay 3 t-shirt. And I was the one of, Seeming was one of the first few people who bought the Bursay 4 t-shirt. So many people had not even seen it or knew that there was going to be a rally or there was going to be a, a Bursay 4. Many people didn't. It was still very speculative at the time, but the T-shirt was out, and Siming was one of the first few people who who got it, because uh, that's her nature, you know. She she just knows everything ahead of time and gets everything ahead of every, everyone else. Um. So I was wearing a birthday four T-shirt, and on top of that, a birthday three T-shirt, and I was like, okay, um, and then I do my whole set, and then I'm like, ah, if this t-shirt um offense anybody um don't worry i'll just take it off right and i take it off and inside is brushy four so like um and then dato ambiga laughed at that uh yeah so then i think uh a month later when the date was set it was the 29th of august i think yeah um for birthday four uh yeah then they they contacted me, um, one of our friends who was also in the organizing committee, he's like, hey, we, we don't mind having a stand-up comedian. I hear you do political jokes. Uh, you want to perform at Bursi? So I'm like, yeah, sure. And that's how I got this, uh, got into this. Yeah, so I was uh, I was roped in to perform at Bursi 4. And at the time, I was telling a lot of people. Uh, um but they were like oh you're performing at birthday four okay and then like uh, one of my friends who had been to birthday three i think it was uh Lartson, he was telling me what to expect he's like oh by the time it's about let's say 5 p.m just start watching out for like the right police to start shooting tear gas and like you know trying to disperse the crowd and then the whole thing would be over so i went to, into it thinking like well i'm supposed to perform at i forgot what time it was i think it was like 9 p.m or 8 p.m. Sometime sometime at night. I think there's probably like 8 p.m. But then I'm like, well, if the crowd is going to disperse by 5, then there would be no more rally by that time. So I was not even sure if I was going to perform the whole day. I was like, well, I might perform. I might not. You know, um, I'll just be ready when, when the time comes. So the whole day I was walking about, my nephew was with me the whole day and night. He was just accompanying me. He was his second time at Per se. It was my first time. And at the same time, I was like, okay, waiting for water cannons. And the water cannons, by the way, they say that they it's acid-laced water in there because when it shoots you, you like you can't see. Your eyes are just um, um, affected by it, right? Um, so it's all kinds of dirty tactics like this. So um, there's tear gas, um, there's water cannons, there's um, the the rubber bullets, and then there's the sticks, right? Which is what we're afraid of, you know, getting beaten by the sticks. Um, so we were, were like, all these things could is a possibility. We didn't know. But turns out Bursay 4 was the first time that we had a peaceful rally. So I did get to uh, do my... Uh, I think like, like a seven, eight minute set here where, yeah, I was making fun of uh, the prime minister and uh, the new deputy prime minister, who, by the way, was put in place because the, the old deputy prime minister was starting to ask questions about about the money. Um, yeah, 
So that was birthday four. But before birthday four, I want to say about a week before birthday four, there was this group of students who were um, organizing a separate event called Occupy Parliament. So of course that was like a smaller thing, and many people didn't even know about it. Um, but birthday four was the big one. And uh, when we talk with when we were talking about birthday four, a lot of our friends was. Along, saying things along these lines, you've, you've had three birthdays already, right? What's the fourth one going to do? You're just going to go out, you know, walk around, do, do nothing except like take selfies. You know, uh, that's not going to change anything. You know, you, you think the government's going to be scared of you if you do that? No, they're just going to ignore you, right? So that was a lot of the talk that was going around. Um, but I was like, what else are you going to do, you know? So uh, I was like, ah, just these these people just want to stay home, so they're gonna say anything so that they can stay home, right? So, um, so a lot of the, my friends were like, oh, you know, you know, bursting is not effective. You want to be effective. You gotta you gotta be you gotta show them that you have willpower. You know, you gotta you gotta do something like Occupy Wall Street. You gotta do something like like uh, in Hong Kong. You know, the Umbrella Revolution. You gotta do something like that. You know, just sit there, and not move until they listen to your demands. You know not just have one day of protest. So a lot of people were saying that, a lot of my friends were saying that. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen quietly. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. By the way, the same friends. By the time the Occupy Parliament came along, uh, so this group of young people were, like they, they were setting up tents. They were like basically occupying the front of Parliament and uh, demanding that, um, you know, uh, there's more transparency, there's more accountability, you know, uh, end to corruption, that kind of thing. Very vague, but at the same time, it's like, hey, these young people are taking an interest in politics. I totally cheer that, right? It was a very small group of kids, like less than 20, I would say. And of course, uh, it was their, they're, they're not experienced, right? But uh, at the same time, it's like the police, uh, the police didn't know what to do with it. It was like, huh, these kids are doing this now? Like, what are, what are we going to do? So they left them alone for one day, and then the next day they were like, "Ah, okay, you guys can't be here. You gotta be like, uh, three hundred meters away from, uh, I I don't know, like five hundred meters away from the the parliament building. Otherwise, you know, it's illegal." So they, in a way, I think they were just making it up, or they were just reading the rules for the first time or something. And so the <laughs> these kids they moved back five hundred meters. And then, yeah, okay, we, we complied, you know, we are 500 meters away from the building. And then the, the police was like, oh, that's not what we meant. We meant you should go home. <laughs> so they, they took all their stuff, which is what happens during these, um, these kind of uh, sit-down protests, right? Uh, you try to camp out there, they take away your tent, they take away your blankets, they take away your umbrella, or they take away all your, all your equipment, all your stuff, and then they ask you to go home. Um, but then it's like they don't want to arrest you at some point, they they might arrest you, but they start with that. They just confiscate your things. Um, so these kids were like camped out there with nothing. And so I was I was reading about this, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna give them um, what they need. And uh, one of my friends actually had a contact with one of the kids, and she she was an activist. And she was like, yeah, there's this uh, there's this person you can talk to. Oh yeah! By that time, the police I think already arrested like the main group of them. But then they were they were taking shifts, right? These kids they they were they were taking shifts. Like some of them would be there in the daytime, some of them would actually go away and come back 
but there was always someone there. There was always like a group of like seven or eight kids who are there. And then one time the police was like, hey, "This is too much. They're not going away, even though we told them, right?" So the police uh, arrested that group there that night. And then the rest of them, basically the the whole leader of that movement was all the leaders were were arrested. So the the other group that was back home, who are coming back in to relieve them, uh, they were now kind of having to to step up to be the leaders, uh, the leftover leaders, right? So among them was like. Um, my, my activist friend gave a number that I could contact. I'm like, okay, what do you guys need? Uh, he's like, ah. I'm like, do you guys need umbrellas? He's like, ah, mostly we need blankets. I'm like, oh, shit, I already brought <laughs> I already bought a couple of umbrellas. Like, okay, I'll go and look for blankets. So I went to um, you know, went to the store, bought some blankets, uh, brought them over for them because actually, even though we we say Malaysia is a very warm climate, right? It and it is. It is so hot here, but when it's late at night and you've been out on the street the whole night sleeping on a pavement, it's cold, you know? It's it's not an easy thing to do. So I was kind of like pitying these kids, these kids. So I was like, okay, um, let's, let's support them. They are, they are trying to fight for our rights, right? Okay, let's, let's support them how we can. So I bought blankets. Uh, I gave them blankets. I gave them like umbrellas. I'm like, uh, you need umbrellas? Yeah, they were like, umbrellas? I'm not sure. I'm like, take the umbrellas. <laughs> so they took the umbrellas. They took the blankets. They were grateful. So there was these kids doing that uh, around that time. So when uh, when my friends were like, uh, you know, you birthday doesn't work. You know, I've done it three times already. It's not working. You know, you're just going out there for a day to take selfies wearing yellow. It's, that's stupid. What you need is something like uh, Occupy uh, Occupy Wall Street. What you need is the umbrella umbrella revolution in Hong Kong. You know, you gotta show them. You know, stay there and not move. I'm like, ah, you're in luck now. You know, because uh, there is this Occupy Parliament. Uh, you could join them. <laughs> Uh, none of my friends joined them. <laughs> you know what my friends did? My friends did exactly what I did. They wore yellow. They went out to Bursay 4 and they joined uh, this big group of people and took selfies of themselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that was that story. Um, yeah, this Occupy uh, Parliament kids. I think not many people remember them because... Uh, when I contacted them, them uh, the last time I contacted the the so-called well the the replacement leader of the group, right? He was saying like, um, uh, actually, uh, I think we are going to uh, not continue the Occupy Parliament and we are going to join Bursay Four. That was the last I heard. And then I was telling my my friend who gave me the contact, uh, and she was like, um, she was like, huh, like that, ah. <laughs> like like that how to how to have a revolution <laughs> but i i really respected what they, what they tried to do though um these kids uh i think every bit helps right like we always say like we always think of things in terms of like cause and effect we always think of things in terms of like well if this if this thing happened and it doesn't change anything then this thing is a failure uh I don't think of it that way. I think of it as like, well, they, people take notice of these things, right? And then it, it creates pressure. It creates pressure for the government, even if even if you don't get a change in government, even if you don't get a change in policy. Believe you me, it, it creates pressure for them. They have to think about these things uh, next time they, they, they're thinking of um, 
stealing $2.6 billion, right? And yeah, like, oh, okay, people don't like these things. Okay, I, 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 gotta, I gotta think hard before I do this. <laughs> so a few days ago, Facebook kind of showed me this picture again that my nephew took. And um, people asked me uh, how it was. Um, one of my friends in, in Singapore, Brent, he asked me, like, you know, was I uh, speaking at a rally? Or was I doing stand-up? What, what was I doing? Uh, if you were doing stand-up, what was it like performing? And uh, I would have to say that the room's not great because there's no room. It's just open air, right? And uh, the crowd had vuvuzelas. You know, that loud thing is like an air horn. And it was just blaring the whole time um, because that was the, the mood. And it was very festive in a way. And I, the whole time I was worried that, you know, there might not be a performance. There might not be a, a gig, so to say because uh, I might be too busy getting beaten up by the police. And also, um, it took me forever to find this place because our phones were not working. Our phones, there were so many people there with handphones. My phone basically was useless the whole day. Um, when we were having dinner, me and my nephew, we, we walked to one part that was kind of on the fringe of the huge crowd. And there, I started to get some signal. And I was like, oh, okay, I think my messages are coming in. That means my phone started working, right? So I so I called the contact that I was supposed to call, and then she was like, uh, "Okay, you gotta look for this." This I'm like, "Where's the stage that I'm performing on?" Um, the stage that I don't know if you can see it in this picture, but uh, I'm actually standing on the back of a pickup truck. I had to look for this pickup truck, and it wasn't easy to find it. But uh, after like lots of um, giving me landmarks, it's like, "Ah, oh, it's uh, opposite CIMB Bank under the LRT." Yeah, and so it was there. Yeah, the, the stage was um, the back of a pickup truck. And this pickup truck, I think it's designed to drive and make announcements because the speakers are pointed sideways. So it was funny. As, as I was talking, people in front of me were kind of like squinting and like they can't really see or hear what's going on. They're like trying to make sense of what I'm talking about. But, but I hear laughter from the sides, you know. So, uh, so it was kind of strange. Uh, thing it was a strange one um but probably my best show ever <laughs> the crowd was just great i they were just lapping it up and they were they were hungry for anything that you had to say about the situation it was a great show i would say i prepared the hell out of it because uh and uh yeah so that was uh my thing at per se four um i would say the the people who were actually paying attention to me there was probably like i don't know 50 to 100 people something like that but i like to say that i performed to a crowd of uh a quarter million <laughs> uh so yeah that was that was pretty for and um and today when this uh when when uh facebook reminded me of this picture from five years ago. I posted it up as my cover photo uh, just for a day or two. And then uh, there were lots of comments and some of the comments were um, kind of sad. One friend said like, well, it was all for nothing. Uh, I don't really believe that. I, I think it made a difference. Um, of course, ultimately now, okay, we, we had a change of government and then now the government's changed back, right? So you could say like it's all for nothing. If you take 
between that point in time and the current point in time and not look at the middle at all, you could say, yeah, nothing has changed. But a lot has changed as well, right? There's, um, there's a lot more uh, looking into keeping the election commission more independent at least. Um, it could be a lot more independent, to be honest, uh, even right now. Um, change is not easy. And I, I know what my friend is feeling. And I, I think um, I, went, I went to this book launch. Uh, I went to the book launch of this book called Rebirth, Reformacy, Resistance, and Hope in New Malaysia. And um, I met some, some of the contributors to the book. So one of the contributors, uh, this young lady called Vila, Vila Shini uh, Somia, she had this uh, explanation for political fatigue, which I, I think makes a lot of sense to me, which is that sometimes you just feel so tired, right? Which is what my friend is feeling when she said this comment in, um, in the comment section. So yeah, we, we get tired. We get tired of all the nonsense. And I think we, actually, I, I talked about this in one of my earlier podcast episodes. So I, this is kind of a repeat for the audio listeners, but I, I feel like it's important. So I'm going to say it again for people who are watching this now as well. We, we feel tired. We, we get fatigued, right? Because of all the nonsense that we read about, that we hear about, that's going on. And then we're like, okay, this must change. And then finally we get some change and then it changes back. And then, and then we're like, no, we, you know, that's, that's not how you do it. You know, you got, you got to change it permanently. And then, you know, you're always fighting it. You're always pushing for change. You're always pushing for what is right. And it's, it's tiring. And uh, every now and then you feel tired and you're like, you know what? I, I'm sick of this and uh, I'm out. I'm out. You know, I'm just going to not read the news. I'm not, and I, I do this all the time as well. There'll be times when I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't know what's going on in the country uh, because uh, I'm, I'm tired right now. And there'll be times like that. And um, I think it's natural. Um, and this, this was explained to me by um, Vilashini. Um, she explained that, like, um, yeah, it's natural. People feel that, you know, you feel tired. And then you have to take a break from it. You take a break from it, right? But then you have to come back. You have to come back, hopefully stronger, right? And not just disillusioned and giving up forever and, like, jaded. I, I like the idea. I like the to think of it that way. Like, okay, it's like, she explained it in the terms of like, it's like working out, right? You go lift some dumbbells and then you're like, oh, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. And then you go take a break. You go rest and then you come back stronger. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's natural to feel tired, but I think we shouldn't give up. I think it's better to just like, okay, this is, we're tired right now. We're going to take a break. Uh, maybe we won't read social media or we, we, we're just gonna, not going to pay attention to all. And I feel I felt that, in fact, I would say after birthday four, I was tired as well because um, I think in 2016 or 2017, um, the prime minister was actually consolidating so much power. Uh, he, he formed the National Security Council. Um, still arguable whether it's a good or bad thing. Um, I guess it's up to up to debate, right? But I feel the whole spirit of forming that thing was to protect one man 
who was caught with his hand in the cookie jar, so to say, right? Yeah, and then there was the fake news law. You guys remember that? Um, by now, it's been uh, repealed. I guess is that the word repeal? It's it's they gotten rid of it. Uh, but it was a it was a really silly thing, and we felt so clamped down on. We felt so, uh, you know, it, it felt really suffocating. Um, the fact that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do anything. You're supposed to pretend that uh, these things that they are saying is true. That like uh, the 2.6 billion in our prime minister's account is actually a, a donation. You're supposed to believe that. And uh, if you don't believe that, then you're a criminal. You know, <laughs> to, we were starting to get to that point where it's like even our thoughts are being controlled, and it was really suffocating. And yeah, at that point, it was like. <sighs> I just feel like I don't want to listen. I don't want to. I don't want to look at the stupid government posters anymore. I just want to stay in my own shell, and I don't want to. Like I also felt the same way. My felt my my friend felt, which was that it was all for nothing. All the jokes I made at Bursi for all the things that I've been talking about. It's uh, all the all the all the things that we've been trying to do. We're still losing after all that. Uh, and then we had a change of government right in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, and of course, by now it's changed back uh, due to the shenanigans of the backdoor government people. I'm not gonna say who, but uh, Asmin Ali lah, basically Asmin Ali. <laughs> uh, okay lah, okay lah. Let's not get too political. But basically, um, yeah, um, I think change is not easy. But if you give up on change, then Then you're not gonna get change. Basically, is my point. Okay, Chong Yihao said they even tried to ban the yellow-colored clothes. Imagine the DG man. Yeah. So in Bursi in Bursi Four in 2015, they tried to ban the the yellow T-shirt with the words Bursi and the number four on it. Or actually, in Bursi Three, they did something even. Uh, More amazing, which was they tried to ban the color yellow. They were just so scared of it. And uh, and then in one of his trips, he was visiting uh, England, and he met the Queen. And the Queen was dressed head to toe in yellow. It could have been a coincidence, but I don't think so. I believe that um, she was trying to hint at something. Yeah, yeah. Sim Tianmen Square Tong. No, I'm not. Not so. I'm. I'm not gonna die for this. I don't think. Yeah, I still got a kid to take care of. Uh, they could be watching. I hope not. Is my association with you going to hinder my entering the country when the borders open? Uh, I'm just a small fry, man. I'm just. You know, I've been able to do comedy, uh, and say anything I want. And I people ask me this. They ask like, uh, do I get into trouble or? And I'm like, no, because I'm just. As far as I know, I just perform to like seventy, eighty people. Uh, usually, the crowd is always less than a hundred people at a comedy club, right? And um, yeah, I I never get anything about it, right? People hear it if they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, they go home and forget about it. I think that's what happens. And also, generally, people who go to comedy shows they uh, they know what's up. They are usually not government stooges. They are not the from the group that thinks that Najib Razak 
is the Messiah, you know. So usually it's it's not so bad for me. I I never have never gotten anything um, bad out of it. And usually the group, the crowds are small enough that you know it's it's just a show. People are not gonna be like, hey, this guy's starting a rally, you know, he's starting a movement or he's starting a revolution or anything like that. Um, in fact, uh, after that, okay, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna take credit for this one. After me and Matt did those jokes. And I think after a while, they started to become a bit trendy as well. Like there was a lot of jokes about 2.6 billion uh, ringgit. Uh, almost everybody had one one joke like that, uh, 2.6 billion ringgit joke in their pocket. So um, yeah, I think other comedians were either uh, starting to be a bit more brave or at the same time, they were starting to also be maybe a bit more politically aware or socially aware. So which was a good thing. I, I really was glad for it. Uh, umbrellas could be seen as weapons. Uh, yeah, sim the weapon supplier tongue. <laughs> no, the umbrellas are for, you know, keeping them out of the rain. And also, I think uh, in Hong Kong, umbrellas are actually very important for their protests because uh, it is sort of like you can deflect the water cannons, um, protect yourself from it. Um, and also you can, I've heard people say this, like you can shield yourself from the, the rubber bullets. So um, it is kind of a shield in a way. Um, it's not going to stop a bullet, obviously, but um, yeah, they, they do say that it is able to deflect the rubber bullets. I don't know how, how true that is, um, but something is better than nothing, right? If PH was given the time, there would have been a lot of good changes, at least some maybe, but the racial thing came into play again and PH just fell to pieces. Yeah, I feel that's true. But at the same time, I don't think they were saints as well. I I think it's good that we have a two-party, two-coalition, you know, two-party system right now. I would like to see more parties. Um, other countries with two-party systems, they are talking about, oh, we wish we had uh, multiple multiple party system right rather than just the two same old um same old uh choices all the time you know it's either these guys or these guys and they're always doing the same thing and saying the same thing nothing ever changes they always treat us stupid you know and they are always telling the same the same lies over and over again thinking we're gonna buy it i i made this joke uh, years ago and uh, i'm gonna mangle it now so it's not gonna be funny but um Basically, I feel like we have, in Malaysia, we have the choice between two shitty parties, right? And it's like one party that just doesn't know what it's doing. Um, the other party that doesn't give a fuck, right? Um, now you, you figure out which one is which. Um, basically, the one that um, doesn't know what it's doing, right? Their main thing is to say like, well, these guys, they're, they're so bad. Look at how bad they are at their job. Um, you should vote for us because why? Because we are not them. You know, that's the, that's the main platform is that we are not them because they are so bad. Um, and then the other, the other party, their platform is like, you, you think we are bad? When these guys get into power, they're going to be worse. And that's their main platform. You know, it's just like, like they can't rule. Um, they, they can't govern. They... They don't have any experience, right? And I'm like, of course they don't have an experience because uh, 
we're going to move from one party to two parties and then they're going to get experience, right? It's like a chicken and egg thing you're, you're doing here. Yeah, so that's Malaysia. But at least we have two parties now and they're both kind of shitty to, to be honest. But um, at least they, they give pressure to each other now, right? It's like, okay, you know, if we keep going the same way we've always been doing, just stealing money whenever we want, uh, then people might vote for the other guys, right? They at least they have there is that fear now, rather than in the old days it was always like, uh, well, what else are you gonna do? You're gonna vote those guys? They don't know what they're doing, but now that they have been at least for two years, they have been uh, the government. Uh, there is that fear, you know, from both sides. It's like, ah, okay, we gotta do better. I think at least that's my theory, like That's that's my hope, lah. I hope things are better now that we, we have competition, right? Competition is always good, right? You don't want a monopoly, which was what we had before. Uh, <laughs> all hail Sim, the new messiah. No, uh, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Uh, don't follow me. <laughs> like Bill Burr, he says, don't follow me. I don't read. Yeah, I remember a time when it was easier to count the number of comics that didn't have a 2.6 joke. Yeah, it's true. I, I kind of stopped doing mine when I realized like everyone <laughs> was doing it as well. Uh, <laughs> Pat, um, Jimmy says, what did I miss? Did they arrest Sim? Uh, no, uh, no, they haven't yet. They haven't yet. Um, pray for Sim, says Angie. He's talking shite about our political parties. Hope the government's cyber troopers aren't watching. Hey, I want to show you guys this thing. Okay, this is interesting. You want to see how cyber troopers work? Okay, let's uh, let's do this thing. Uh, I had one thing that I don't know if you can say it's viral, but it was shared a bunch of times. Uh, let me see if I can find it first. Let me give me a second. Uh, it might not be easy to find. Okay, this was the uh, closest I ever came to being viral, I guess. Uh, um, this was after birthday three, I think. Um, I wasn't I wasn't that. Um, vocal about anything back then, but I was very angry at the police brutality. On the left side, it's like with clean and fair elections. On the top, you have shareholders, and you are here, you're the shareholder. And then underneath the shareholders, you have the CEO. And then underneath that, you have the management. It's all the ministers. Back then, it was uh, uh, uh Nazri, Aziz. Um, who's this guy? Forgot his name. Um, uh, Hishamuddin Chasoilek throw in a Chinese one in there um, and then the employees see very disciplined police officers and then without clean and fair elections it's a uh, boss Najib more bosses same guys and then employees the police stomping on a guy and uh, the guy that is stomping on you are here so um, I made this kind of um, visual to share, and, and it was uh, shared a bunch of times back in 2012, May 2nd, 2012. Okay, so it was shared a bunch of times. It was very popular. It was shared uh, 3,400 times. Um, a lot of people were asking to be my friend at that time because they liked this poster or this visual that I made. And... I was just stupid on Facebook, man. I just added everyone that wanted me to add them. I, they were all strangers. I was like adding all of them. And then 
one person that I added, he was a cyber trooper. I believe this, and basically he he added me as a friend so that he could comment. And when he comment, he uh, tag his other cyber trooper uh, colleagues, coworkers, and then they could comment. Basically, they were um, I can't find words today, man. But basically, it was kind of like um, they were saying it's stupid, right? And then they, of course, they they don't really explain why it's stupid. They just say it's stupid. It's stupid. It's this is so the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, no wonder you're so stupid. And you know they just keep repeating the word stupid, 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 and they never really explain why. And um, I think um, discredit. Uh, yeah, uh, they, they're trying to discredit the the thing that I'm doing. And uh, so that's that's how cyber troopers work. And uh, I I was thinking of like, should I just delete all their comments and um, unfriend the guy? I was like, okay. I unfriended the guy, but I left all the comments in there because I, it was an interesting study of how cyber troopers work, and uh, I always kept I always kept all the comments in there, um, all the negative ones as well. But uh, this this thing seems like back in two thousand and twelve, it felt like it was kind of creative and cutting edge, but now not so much, <laughs> which is good, which is a uh, which is a good sign. Sometimes I think like if you have an idea, right? If you have an idea, I feel like um, if you if you try to too much to like hang on to the credit and like take ownership of it, I feel like the idea the idea can't really spread so much. Whereas if you just just have a chill attitude about when someone else like um, takes your idea and creates something else with it, right? I think that is that is a sign that the idea is flourishing, and uh, it's a good sign. Um, Sometimes I, I think of it in terms of uh, comedy. It's, it's like with the whole um, political thing, right? Um, back then, it was just me and Matt doing it. Um, and also, uh, Hishamuddin Rice, of, of course, was doing it. But um, he was doing it in Bahasa. Uh, in English, it was me and Matt. Me and Matt, we were like comedians dabbling in politics. But Hisham was kind of like an activist uh, dabbling in comedy it is kind of like the other way around right and later i think like other comedians saw that oh okay you won't get into trouble for this okay i'll, I'll do it too i think there was a bit of that going on and i feel like it's it's a great thing because that means that this idea is flourishing right i mean you, you can of course like choose to feel bitter about it and say ah no they're doing my thing right well first of all you can't own such a such a thing and second of all it's like no, you you want more people to do it. That means like this idea can won't die, you know, in in isolation. Yeah, and um, you you want the you want the idea to go out there, and and when it does, this idea that was like creative and cutting edge will just not be creative and cutting edge anymore because uh, people are just going to be everyone's going to be talking about it. Uh, people in the coffee shops are going to be talking about it, and uh, that's that's a good thing. That means we have made, as a population, we have made progress. We are a little bit more um, advanced, I want to say. Yeah. Okay, I'm giving myself way too much credit <laughs> tonight, so uh, I'm gonna stop uh, patting myself on the back. Yeah. So that was a uh, birthday in Occupy Parliament. Um, what's next for online shows? Uh, yeah, I, I want to do things. I, I, there are a lot of technical things I want to 
try as well. Like uh, I'm always interested in what Vivek has been doing, and I cannot do it as well as him. But like uh, at the same time, I feel like I want to dabble in it, right? And maybe I on um, maybe I'm not I'm not gonna be ever as good as him, you know. Um, having all the visual effects and like doing the voices and and being so animated and at the same time being this um so good at managing all the buttons um but i i can get better than where i am right now which is i suck right um i i do want to explore that a little bit and see like what else can we do with this i even though vivek's great right but I, I also feel like maybe there is another direction we can take this that is not stand-up and at the same time it's not what Vivek is doing and maybe there is a direction that hasn't been tried yet and that's that's exciting to me. Like if I have all these hotkeys that brings up what I call overlays and graphics, basically graphics, uh, like I could have my hair on fire if I press a button and things like that and um, and sound effects and things like that. I, I want to mess with some of this stuff that I can't mess with in a live show uh, is basically the idea. So uh, yeah, I do want to try out some of those ideas. I don't know where, like what kind of show I would use all that stuff in, but I just know I want to, I want, I want to dabble in it. I want to mess around with it. And the obvious one is basically maybe just do stand up with a little bit of visual and uh, sound effects flair, but Mm, there's got to be something else other than stand-up. There's got to be something else that could be interesting. I was thinking maybe whatever I'm doing right now, or, you know, reading the news, I could just have some uh, some memes, you know. I think I learned a lot about memes from my son, you know. There's all the memes that they do. Uh, and and it's funny to me. I I think I'm young enough to understand <laughs> memes, so I'm, I'm, I'm juvenile enough. I'm um, immature enough to uh, to understand memes. Maybe I, I I like this like the careless whisper meme. Like uh, whenever there's like a potentially romantic uh, moment, uh, in you know in a video or in a you know in a situation, then they play that uh, the, the the opening riff of careless whisper. Uh, that's that's always funny to me, but I I don't know how that would be worked out into a live stream thing. But uh, in an edited video, it's very funny. Yeah, Callous Whisper, <laughs> Callous Whisper is kind of a like back then we were like, oh, this is so romantic, right? It, it is a very romantic tune, right? But then it's kind of like if you listen to the lyrics, it's like well, this guy is kind of douchey, you know? Shoulda known better than a cheater friend, and I'm like, okay, so you've been cheating. You've been cheating on your partner? You've been cheating on your girl? Or whoever it is? Andrew Richley? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I don't know who uh George Michael is referring to when he is talking about cheating here. That's what I did so wrong, so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you have to leave me alone. I don't know. It's it's funny to listen back to songs from the from the eighties. <laughs> It's those songs are so goofy uh, by today's standard. I don't know. It was just a funny thought that I had. Okay, guys, uh, that's it for this podcast. I'll see you guys at the next podcast. Uh, bye, everybody. Happy Monday, Day.